You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommying While Muslim. This is Uzma Jaffrey. And this is Zeba Hassan. So tell me, Osma, my dearest, how was your week this week? Because I feel like we haven't, you know, seen each other in a hot minute. I and feel like scene, we did, didn't we? We did. did we just see each other. <laughs> Yay. Do you want to tell the audience about that? So, you know, it's not every day that you turn 25 for like the fifth day, the fifth <laughs> year in a row. No, I'm kidding. I love being in my 40s. I embrace it. There's something wonderful that happens to you. I mean, you know, you hear it before you hear all those stories, girls, just wait till you're 40. And now I'm like looking forward to being 50. Granted, I have a little bit of ways to go. So I, I will hold that yeah, in. But uh, inshallah, inshallah. But there is something about being in your 40s and, you know, not really caring and really being able to celebrate on my lovely, lovely daughter planned a surprise party for me. Under, like, I had no clue. She and Uzma put it together because that's the bonus. She was my present. Uzma flew in. (laughs) And I got to see her and hug her. You know, we're all vaccinated, so we got to do that. IRL, um, and I'm sure if you if you were staying on top of it, we were both at the rally, which I'm sure we'll talk about, and it was on our Instagram stories. But it was such a blessing, and I I got reeled in under the the roost that we were going to be making political posters, and I was just going to be in a room with a whole bunch of teenage girls, and you know I was wearing like crazy clothes. My I did not brush my hair for days, so when I walked in, I was truly truly surprised. But it's you know the best thing is when you're with people that know you and love you you can be in your pajamas and they don't care and thankfully I was and thankfully they didn't care because it was a rainy rainy day in the DC area for that March but it was so fun and I wanted to say thank you so much um, to everybody for all the birthday wishes and all that it really does make you know getting older a little bit more palatable and I and I want to show my necklace I'm going to move the this away my niece sent me this necklace so i want to call her out for that my my lovely niece iman and my sister-in-law who's also one of my bfs and she couldn't be here for that for the surprise party because apparently my husband and my son weren't invited either nor did they know she was hosting one for me so surprise (laughs) everybody technically we did invite your z1 but we had uh i gave zara specific instructions i was like Tell no man because men are terrible at keeping secrets. They conveniently forget. But I was like, you can tell Z1. But according to her, Z1 was busy and he was, right? Yes. He was was getting ready for the the SATs and he was going to prom, you know, all those things that happen when you are in, um, uh, you know, when you're in that stage of life. Uh, But the beauty is that's a present, right? Like I have a daughter that was like, I want to throw a party for you. I have a son who's going to prom and, you know, he's like, 
are you guys by the Lincoln Memorial? I want to take a picture with all of you guys, you know? So it's just all one of those things. of us. Literally, he's like, <laughs> where are you? Um, but of course, all the prom pictures ended up being um, done at the Jefferson Memorial instead of the Lincoln Memorial. But it was such a blessing to be able to, you know, share, you know, something that we both feel so passionately about, like IRL in person. You were here literally for a hot second um, for 24 hours. So thank you for spending a big chunk of that time with me and Shella for many, many, many many, um, many more years to come. Um, that was so fun and so uplifting. And, you know, like, I feel like it was such an emotional high that this week I've just basically been climbing into bed whenever possible just to recover. <laughs> it was tiring. <laughs> yes. Every joint in her body was hurting. <laughs> I'm like, why is everything Hurting. You, yeah, take, girls, it was hurting. you take three hours of speeches, <laughs> which were excellent, and you're standing in the rain. You know, rain is not good for joints. Don't ask me why. Ask a naturopath, but it's just not good for your joints. And then you go marching for an hour, hour and a half. Um, my dogs were barking, but thank goodness, God bless my husband. When I came home, he took me to, you know, the Chinese reflexology. Oh, girl. Uh, where they just do your feet for like an hour. Like, That's what I you. need. My feet were hurting. I was like, why? Can you just take a hammer and break them? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, my parents. You know, because that's the truth. We were standing for 12 um, 12, 13 um, hours, I want to say. No. We were there, it was right? three hours. No, it was only three hours. It that felt we were like standing? 13. Oh my God, girl. <laughs> it felt Ugh. that long, but it, it wasn't that long. It was, the whole process was only like four and a half hours. So they did a really good job. Security was really good. Uh, DCPD was, as Zeba said, uh, remarkably calm as yes. we were walking all over the White House. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I guess, what do you call that grass that we were on that you're not allowed to walk on? That's not the White House green. No, 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 because you, you, that's the behind, that's the, you're that's seeing behind the rear, the exactly. Yeah. So we, we are not allowed technically to walk on that um, because when number 45 was in office, he actually blocked all that up. So even that grass, there was a huge fence around it. Um, so that's been taken down actually since, um, you know, since January. Um, when um, Biden took office so we can get a little bit closer to the fence of the like back in the day when Obama was there you could walk in those are the gardens like I would see you would see Michelle in the garden with her mom and that's how close we got to see and she'd wave and stuff like that it was only after Trump that they started putting up all these barriers I think because they were trying to prevent people from getting so close but we were like on the grass and none of us got arrested. I don't think my husband would have come and bailed me out if we did. So I was gonna, Oh, well, no, I couldn't. You would have been in jail jail with me. So I'm so (laughs) glad none of us got went to jail. We got to see each other and we got to stand up for a cause that obviously all of us feel pretty strongly about. Yeah, no, it was amazing and awesome. And I'm really, really glad that I got to spend it with you. So thanks for being so surprised and so awesome. Oh, I was truly surprised. I was like, that woman was just like, Uzma. And I looked away. (laughs) I I literally walked out of the, you had your mask on and hijab. I looked at you and I just kind of walked out because I was like, apparently I'm in the wrong place. I told Zara, I'm like, they're having a party here. I think we're in the wrong place. And she was like. Dumbo, just keep walking and pay attention. (laughs) That's what happens when you're clueless. But what a blessing it is. What a blessing I have um, to be surrounded by so many amazing people. So thank you for being a part of that and a part of my, you know, journey. Mm -hmm. To 25 again. 
Do 25 again. Next year again. <laughs> 25 times three. We'll 75. 25. Next year. <laughs> ready for the soapbox? We are ready for the soapbox because I know what's coming up. Yeah. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, we gave up our platform for the Palestinian American Community Center. Some of their members came to represent, but we thought it was more respectful rather than thinking that we can speak for Palestinians to tell Palestinians, you know, here's a microphone, it's ours, you're welcome to use it and educate anybody about what's actually going on um, in your in your country or the country of your origin. So a lot of those members that you saw last time on that Pass the Mic event, which the video is still on our Facebook page if you would like to see it, um, the Palestinian American Community Center is an all-woman-run organization. They provide uh, community and cultural education, uh, advocate for Palestinian rights. They were uh, also present at the march, and because there were so many people, we obviously couldn't connect with them, and we were very sad to hear that when they returned after Memorial Day um, in the United States, remember what Memorial Day is for, guys, people died for this country and for us to have our civil rights. Well, for seven hours when our sisters returned to the PAC, uh, they were harassed by phone calls, and I'm going to read some of the messages that... Um, were left on their answering machine. And if you have kids in the room, you might want to go on mute or take it off speaker. Is this a terrorist community center? I'm going to rape you and give you a taste of your own medicine. I'm going to go over there and beat the blank out of you. You Palestinians blow up children and behead them. You don't even have a country. For that one, yeah, no kidding. That's why we're trying. Um, and then this last one really made me angry. They're not going to catch me, so I do not know why you're worried about calling it in. Uh, luckily, the uh, mayor of Clifton and a lot of elected officials in New Jersey, where PAC is located, came out. Um, actually, I take it back. I believe the mayor of Patterson, which is a sister city, came out. Uh, police chief of Clifton came out, and they're taking it very seriously. At the time of the seven hours of very scary harassment that happened. There were children at the community center and children starting their summer Arabic program, um, part of preserving their Palestinian and Arabic heritage. Um, so obviously with threats like this and worried about being bombed and such, it had to be cleared out and then bring people back in. Well, now hopefully there is better um, security presence over there provided by the city. It's been promised to them. And uh, this is, I believe, labeled a hate crime. I have, I have still not heard it labeled a hate crime. Um, but the sexual crimes that are also um, put towards women, it just kind of shows us when you are visibly Muslim, women uh, become particular targets and they are believed to be, you know, able to receive such things. You would never tell a guy that you're going to rape him. You're going to say that to a woman? Like, what kind of a weirdo are you? And really, how hard is it to find out where these phone calls are coming from? So if they don't identify who the culprit or culprits are, I will be super disappointed because if this nation can pinpoint a guy in a wheelchair in an alley in Yemen and kill him, they can certainly get you know, an unidentified number uh, and find out who is the perpetrator or perpetrators of such calls, please go to the Palestinian American Community Center's Facebook page, leave them messages of support. Um, 
that kind of encouragement and love is really, really important when you're on the receiving end of hate crimes to know that there are people out there who love and support you. If you are in the Clifton, New Jersey area, please send cards, gifts, whatever you can to support our staff who is there. Um, they are American. Hello, Palestinian American. Um, they are Americans and they deserve our support and do not deserve um, any violation of their First Amendment rights to freedom of religion. And then secondly, it's a humane cause. Like who, who, what kind of a, a person, I, I can't say animal because I don't want to dehumanize a person, but what kind of a person uh, threatens women with sexual crimes as well as hate crimes? It's just inexcusable. So those are the action items for today. And that's our soapbox. I mean, it stinks that the soapbox is like one day, inshallah, the soapboxes are going to be just like fun and exciting and <laughs> uplifting. Um, not that this isn't because, you know, quite frankly, we can't make change with putting our you know heads in the sands about real real life issues. So I definitely appreciate that you always bring these these things to, to the light for me um, because you know we've met some of those ladies you know virtually and quite frankly nobody nobody deserves to be talked to like this especially um, our fellow mom sisters. So I hope they find this person inshallah and I'm mean. But you know as a segue, I'm not I'm not trying to you know make light of the situation, but you know part of being fully vaccinated and you know things a little bit opening up you know it's a little bit of a glimpse into a potentially normal summer maybe not totally normal so yeah we definitely have a little bit of travel on our mind this month um, and that's why we're super excited um, to start this new series and to have this uh, amazing guest come on um, and we're going to talk a little bit today to Adiba Joffrey and you know I'm feeling a little uncool because I don't have Joffrey as a last name and quite frankly Uzma is also like she, there's no relation believe it or not it's it's kind of like I try to explain to our non Muslim folks like Hassan, Joffrey, Hussein, these are all names like Smith and Michaels. And this, like, people don't get that we're not all related other than through our hearts, obviously. So we are super excited to have this mom sister here because she is so cool. And she is one of our cheerleaders who was, like, nervous to talk to us. And I'm like, what? You're nervous to talk to we're us? We're so scary. We're the biggest nerds in the entire world. But she is from <laughs> New York, a graduate of Bernard College in, of Columbia University and an author of like a gazillion books, like truly, truly a gazillion. So you can check out our website. We're going to have those in our show notes today. But not only that, she is also an educator of international expat Muslim teens and tweens. And we know, all know how hard that age group is. So yes. she deserves a medal just for that. She offers several Islamic classes online as well as throughout the year. So we are totally salivating over those. Um, we are so honored to have her here and to finally meet her not even an IRL online, but Adiba, welcome to Momming While Muslim. Walaikum salam. Thank you so much for having me. That was that was quite an introduction. So thank you so much. Don't you love it when you're like when somebody else introduces you? Don't you think like God? I am pretty cool. Thank you yeah. so much. I'm an amazing lady. So thank you, Adiba. I want to meet her. <laughs> I want to meet her. Who is she? Oh, I'm her. Okay, great. Yeah, moms definitely need that. So, Adiba, we usually kick off by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about their mom story and their mommying philosophy. Okay, so my mom story is that I am a mother of uh, four children. Um, they're not really small anymore. My daughter is actually turning 21. 
Um, and then I have three teenage boys. So one of them is turning 19, the other one is 16, and the other one is 14. So they were actually, they were all born in New York. Um, and then we moved here, I think, when my daughter was about eight to nine years old. And um, yeah, we've been here since. So, so why did you move? Because that's a curious time and age for you to uproot or uplift your family, depending on how you're looking at it, um, to another country. So what was your thought process behind that? Well, at that time, my husband had been out of work for a few months. So I guess the, you know, the primary you know, reason for our move, of course, was financial. The thing is, we chose Qatar because, um, well, we'd heard about it. Uh, all we knew much about the Middle East was like Qatar and Dubai. And the only reason we knew more mm-hmm. about Qatar was because my cousin was already living here. And she had moved here when, um, when her children were really, really young. So she had actually raised her children from kindergarten up until high school here. So every single summer that she would come back, she would tell us just wonderful stories about it. Um, so we had heard about it. It's just that we had never visited. So, but still, I mean, for, for for us to get a job, for my husband to get a job at that time, when we had four little kids and and to be told that really it was only a two-year contract, I thought, okay, well, we can do this. Um, and, and then when we moved, Alhamdulillah, it was a really good experience. The, the company really took care of us. They arranged for housing. They've arranged for our kids' education. They've, they've you know, given so many amenities to us. And so it's been a really good experience. And so that two years, alhamdulillah, has turned into like more than 12 years now. Um, can you talk to our audience a little bit about, you spoke about some of the advantages that you had as, as a result of the company, but as um, an expat, what do you think are some of the advantages and maybe a couple of disadvantages of living away from America? Um, well, advantages, I would say, okay, well, first off to the audience, I do need to let people know that I have a very specific perspective, which is that we have uh, blue passports. And for anybody who has mm-hmm. like lived in the Middle East, that they would know that that does make a big difference in your experience as an expat. Um, it also depends on the package that you're that you're uh, the breadwinner, whoever the company is sponsoring, you know, who, what sort of package they're going to be getting. And like I said, that will definitely depend on your nationality. So I have to say that we're, uh, in my case, that I'm privileged enough to work. I, I don't have to work, but I, I mean, it's just, but that's not the case for a lot of expats. So I, I do want to actually let that, you know, let people know that that's a very specific perspective. So advantages. Advantages, one would be, uh, just travel. So we live in a really great location. We are very close to a lot of different other Muslim countries. So it's pretty common for us to, you know, to, over the last 10 years, just to be able to to travel and to know that it's actually uh, just like a local flight. So for example, we've been able to go to Umrah for like every single year that we've been here. Alhamdulillah, like my, my kids have Aww. had the opportunity to just travel even on their own. So it's strange that when I explain to other people that regular school trips might involve, you know, going to the library or going to um, the zoo. Yeah, going to the zoo. <laughs> and then here, my, my kids, like my, my seventh grader, travel to Oman for a week. Um, my, wow. um, my son, he traveled to India for like a badminton tournament. Just 
there's just crazy opportunities oh that I do feel like expats are able to get while they're here. But even then, like I said, it's, uh, my kids are going to a very specific school. They're going to the American school. So um, so not every expat, I think, would be able to relate to that. But for the most part, people do move because of those perks. So you talk about the, the friends that leave the expat life. So like you're there, you're in Doha, then they leave. How does that affect you living in that living and being kind of left behind good and bad? Or how do you deal with leaving your friends here in the States and being abroad, especially like even trying to figure out a time zone for us to record this conversation, (laughs) right? What took a little bit of planning to do. So how do you kind of make sure you're keeping in touch with the people that have been a part of your life? Well, with the family that initially when we moved here, that was my biggest issue because I had raised Mm -hmm. my kids in New York for the most part. And, and it was great to just be around family. I could take a sick day. My parents were about an hour away. My sisters, I could call anytime. Um, I had cousins nearby. So moving here, all of a sudden, you know, you have to factor all of those things in what you're mentioning, just the Mm -hmm. time zones. And I would call my sister in the middle of the night by accident. It was just, (laughs) she wasn't always very happy about that. And but, um, yeah, I was just like, do you know what time it is? I'm trying to sleep right now, ladies. You can always wake up your me. mom, though, and she'll be like, is everything okay? Yeah. Right. yeah <laughs> but no. your sister, no way. <laughs> yeah, your sister's going to yell at you. <laughs> yeah, I've been yelled at a few times. Um, it's time zones and everything. Yeah, we. I think we just kind of got used to it. We, we've gotten used mm-hmm. to a very weird lifestyle of just constantly saying hello and goodbye to people, whether it's friends or whether it's Aww. family. It's a really weird either you get really really attached to people all of a sudden because you have absolutely nobody around you and so your friends sort of just become that family um your neighbors become your family just because you have nobody else to rely on you become actually really close to your spouse um, you become very close to your children as well um, because they really don't have anybody else so that whole experience i mean it's not the same as moving, I think, from one city to the next within the U.S. This is like you're being completely uprooted. Um, and so, you know, it's it's a bit unnerving. It's, it's hard. Um, but I think you just kind of learn so much about yourself. And you learn so much about your children. You learn about, about like, your relationships and how you are as a person and how you're able to cope just by being in that situation. And I think... You know, for us, we like I said, we really thought it was going to be just a two-year experience, and a lot of people do experience that, that they're just gone. Like, I could, I've had kids in my class one year, and then, like, six months later, they're like, Miss, we're moving to Switzerland. I'm like, okay. So, <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, oh, okay. It would be a lot worse. Switzerland's not so bad, man, chocolate. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I had this one one kid who was really close to my, my son, and he was just so nice, and, and he just said, he was like, Miss, I have to move to Belgium. I was like, and I really did think I'm like, chocolate. But, but it's just, but it, you can't. Oh, or waffles. We just right. found about waffles from Costco. <laughs> the Belgian waffles from Costco. Costco waffles. Right. But you, you can't say that to like a seventh grader who, this is what he's known. And he's just really sad about leaving. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, you're going to get great waffles, kiddo. It's like, I'm, I'm really sorry, but hey, you'll be fine. And that's what the kids are actually used to yeah, hearing. Yeah, 
that's got to be really hard at that critical age. Um, I've known like maybe a handful of people who have moved around a lot or lived an expat life or what they call themselves. Um, I've heard them say third culture kids as well. Um, And the one thing I notice is they're super resilient, super self-reliant and independent. Um, I don't know how they do in relationships later, but I'm going to let you speak to that since you're the expert and you actually teach them. But the one thing I have noticed is when those expat kids from their schools overseas meet in one place, I mean, that connection that they have, because they can't, nobody else can understand what they went through, right? Moving Mm -hmm. around. They're like friends for life. And it doesn't matter if they stayed in a place for two years or four years or a few months when they reconnect with those friends, those relationships, those friendships I see as lifelong. And I kind of envy them a little bit, you know, because besides Zeba, I don't know who's a lifelong friend that I talk to on a regular basis. You know, it's, yeah. it's just really hard. And we live in the same country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know what that's about. Um, but I did want to ask, uh, kind of going back to the cons, or I don't want to say cons, I want to say some of the uh, challenges of living as an expat. What do you do about family emergencies, whether they're where you're living or whether they're back home? How does that work? Um, in our case, yeah, family de- um, emergencies have been particularly devastating. So my husband has lost three very close members of his family. Um, he, we would just get a call. Um, we kind of knew, like especially with his father, we knew with his mom, alhamdulillah, he was able to sort of get there on time. But for his sister, when she passed away, I mean, it was like, mm. it's like we got a call in the morning and then the first thing you do is you check to see when's the flight available. And it's like, subhanAllah, that flight left half an hour ago. So then oh, you have to goodness. wait until that day. And, and it's, it's, de- it's depressing because it's like we weren't that far from Pakistan. We're only about a two-hour flight. But um, technically, he should have been able to get there, but simply because the flights were just not available, then you couldn't go. So he wasn't able to get there in time. And so in my case, um, my mom had a stroke, and they almost did not tell me because the way that they see it is, well, she's halfway across the world. Like, what is she going to do? Look, look, what can you do about it anyway? Right. So so I almost didn't get the call. I think it was my, my dad who happened to send a text message to our family group. And I was like, wait, hello, I'm in this group too. So um, then my sister, she called me and she's like, just stay there. She goes, I will go to New York and I will let you know. And I just said, I'm like, you need to let me know because nobody else will let me know. So um, so we kind of had that agreement. And then, um, alhamdulillah, she got better. Um, she, there was also another situation where she had a stroke here in Doha. Um, that was a second. Awesome. Yeah, she, not a stroke, but it was like a blood clot. And it happened on the morning mm-hmm. of her flight. And so it was oh so weird gosh. because this was about five, six years ago. And she was on her way back from Pakistan. My sister had adopted a baby girl. And so she stopped here. And that was... That was the first time I would say after so many years that I was able to take care of my mom. That and, and my oh, and then my dad great. came. That was and I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm like, this is the experience that everybody gets or I would have gotten if I had lived in the US and if I had stayed there. But I didn't and I felt like Alyssa Mazala was giving me that chance. Like he was like throwing me a bone to be like, You need this. You need this opportunity. You need some Paraka. Yeah, yeah. You need some Paraka in your life. You need this opportunity to do some Pizma for your parents. And so I actually really... Yeah. And my mom kept me, she goes, I'm so sorry. And she goes, I really want to leave this place. 
I'm like, I know. Oh, <laughs> she said, she's like, I never want to come back. You're here. like, sorry, mom, you're stuck with me. Yeah, like, sorry, mom, you're stuck with me. Yeah. I do want to um, clarify for those non-Muslim uh, members of our audience who are listening, uh, Qidma is service and, you know, the opportunity to serve one's parents in Islam is like huge. It's like a huge blessing. So we're actually looking forward to being a sandwich Jenner and like taking care of our parents. And we've talked about that before intergenerational families in the past. So we just want to clarify that it's not considered a burden to take care of your parents. It's considered a huge blessing and an honor and an opportunity that God's giving you to cleanse some of your sins. So that's why um, Adiba is talking about, you know, kind of that feeling of being left out when there is a family emergency. And that's truly something that um, is a reality when you're living an expat life. And we've seen it the opposite way Mm -hmm. where our friends who live here have to fly back in an emergency overseas. And again, it's usually under devastating circumstances. So um, my apologies to your family for having had to endure that in the last dozen years. But, but you know how I look at it? Like she could have had that blood clot on the flight. Yeah. And it happened before. Right. Like, so that is, that is something that is a blessing um, in disguise. And the fact that you had the opportunity to be with your mom, that is, that is such a great thing. So I definitely appreciate that. And, you know, you talked a little bit about being a teacher and, and you do a lot of these online courses and, you know, there's a very specific degree. Uh, honestly, I was trying to get my kids into this. There's only one school in entire Virginia that does this particular program. Um, but they, didn't get in because they do prioritize families that are expats and that is getting the IB um, degree. So can you tell us a little bit about what that is for people that are not aware of it and how that actually helps um, Muslim American kids, um, whether they're, they're planning to do some kind of work overseas or um, do some traveling and be an expat themselves? Okay, well, IB stands for International Baccalaureate. It's an inquiry-based curriculum that helps students not just gain knowledge, but then understand how they they gain that knowledge, so like how they facilitate their own learning. Um, It's a curriculum that starts from kindergarten, actually from pre-K, I think from age three, and it goes into what's known as the DP, or uh, there's a lot of acronyms, by the way, I'm just going to be using them, Mm -hmm. so in the IBDP, which is International Baccalaureate Diploma Program. So that's the program I've done at school that my kids are going to. Um, that's more or less just a college prep program. But it, like I said, it's inquiry-based mm-hmm. learning. It's um, The program itself is very rigorous. Um, it requires a lot of time management skills. It's definitely mm-hmm. not for the faint of heart. If you decided to do that program, you, you commit to, um, I think, a total of six courses in addition to one that's just based on learning. Um, and... Those six courses, like I think three of them would be higher level, which is the equivalent of an AP course, and then the other ones would be considered standard level. And they're, they're, the, the purpose of the program is just to develop internationally minded and very inquisitive people. So um, they, whereas, I, I mean, I compare it a lot to the AP program. So you would, you would consider an AP course and you would say, okay, well, this, this course is very knowledge-based. The IB program focuses more on skills. So a lot of the tests, a lot of the assessments, and those assessments are all externally graded. They're very, um, they're very skill-oriented. 
so um, the, the purpose then is for these kids to be able to go out and when they go to college, from what I've heard and from, from what I've seen from the kids that I've worked with, they're very well prepared for college so that even if they haven't learned the exact material in high school, they've learned the skills on how to, um, how to be resourceful and how to learn that new knowledge. So, um, so yeah, that's why I'm just a big, you could, yeah, I could talk about it for hours on this just because I've learned to I be love that. an IB coordinator and I actually do love the program. I think it's very, very Muslim friendly. I, uh, my daughter start, um, she was in, I think, 10th grade and she was recommended to take the, the full IB curriculum, um, the whole diploma program. And I said, no, just because I was like, I don't know anything about this. And, I, and the way that I thought was, well, mm-hmm. you're just going to go back to America. And, and I wasn't aware that what the, the country that's actually the biggest uh, supporter of the IB program is America. Mm-hmm. Um, out of, I think, right. 5,500 schools worldwide, like over 2,000 of them are just in the U.S. So, um, so I actually discouraged her from doing it. She still did half and half. She did like a hybrid where she did half IB courses and, and half AP. And I just saw a huge difference in the curriculum. I saw a huge difference in the type of work that she was doing. It was a lot more critical thinking. It was a lot more analysis. And it was just sort of understanding that um, where, say, if she was taking IB chemistry, it wasn't just like pure memorization that she would have done sort of an AP chemistry. It was like understanding how to solve problems. So you would do like a lot of group work. You would do a lot of discussion. And... And I, I found that really, really interesting. Also, for IB literature, for example, all of the literature that she was studying was really international. It wasn't just from, you know, American scholars. It was from all over the world. So I found that very, very different from from the AP courses that she was taking. So I just suddenly became a proponent, like a big supporter of it, I guess you could say. Yeah, I've always wanted my kids to go, and that's my goal because our local high school has an IB program. So as Adiba said, there are um, the majority of IB schools are here in the United States. So if you wanted your kids potentially, I mean, think about it. If you go overseas in a lot of countries, university is free, and we all know that it's not in our country. So if your kid had an IB, they, that credit transfers to certain other universities internationally. Yeah. And to have either a subsidized or lower cost higher degree, even if it's from another country, you know, we as immigrants and former colonized people have put such emphasis on the American degree and nobody ever asks for a copy of your degree, you know, and the people who are touting it or doing it for like specific reasons. It doesn't have to be that. You just want to raise educated, good humans, and that can happen anywhere in the world, and no place is not good enough. Remember, universities just did not start in the United States. They were first founded in a Muslim one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's okay to go back to your formerly colonized home countries and get your kids educated over there. What I hear fr- about the IB program, from what you're saying, Adiba, is it's kind of like a marriage between AP and problem-based learning. Mm-hmm. curriculum and so if you don't know what PBL is you can look that up there's a lot of research done on it and it's super duper cool I I, I love that you're teaching uh, ages that we would never touch with a 10-foot pole and we do it under duress because there are kids mm-hmm. um, but because you work with them you write about that age group so tell us about the evolution of your writing career um, and a little bit about your latest YA book coming out um, I started writing when my daughter was about a year old, so you would say this was about 20 years ago. There was hardly any. Oh wow! There were hardly any books that were available that were very kid friendly. So you know, you could find 
just books at, at the at the fairs and you could you find them but they they were just very like just the writing was very rigid and I just didn't really like it. And I remember I was I was expecting you mean representative literature. That but mm-hmm. but even even the books that you would find in say the Muslim bookstores, they just weren't very kid friendly. So I um I, I was expecting with my number two as I usually was with one kid or another, I was expecting. And so I, um, I remember thinking in my head, I'm like, I would really like to find a book that would simply answer the question of where do babies come from? Something really, right. really, really simple. And so I, um, there, there was this one uh, publisher, I think it was called Good Word Books, and they were really churning out Islamic books like left right and center and so i i wrote to them i emailed them and i sent them the the manuscript they loved it and then they asked me for a couple more so i think the first book which is called the baby garden um i did it did go out of print but funny enough there are copies of it available in some countries and a friend of mine recently just told me that there's one in our islamic school library oh okay they're they're apparently in dubai too so, um, and oh. there are a lot of them actually available in Pakistan, but I don't know where. And so the publisher basically purchased the material off of me and then they published it as they felt. Um, yeah. And then um, the second book that I that I wrote was called um, Ali and the Story of the Rose. So that answered the question of why does mommy wear hijab? And then the third book that I wrote was um, a long form poem about nature. Um, because at that time I actually really liked nature. Now I live in the desert, not so much. But um, yeah, at that time. So <laughs> we did we find out when we were talking that there are mosquitoes in the desert. Did you know this? They I are. didn't know this. Yes, they are. They they just find us. No cicadas, though, right? No cicadas. No cicadas. No, but I did see a lizard right like today, just when I opened my door, and then I shut the door, and I just thought, I can't do this. I can't live here. <laughs> But they're so cute. It's only been twelve years. So yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So I the, um, after after I published those books, then obviously I just I think I just took a hiatus. I have written little bits here and there, and I kind of just put them on my computer, and then I forgot about them. And and it really just took a I guess you could say a like a lockdown, like a complete pandemic that made me sort of bring out my laptop. It made me take out my notes and, and sort of put sort of some things together. And so over the, the time of the pandemic, I wrote a few blog posts for um, for this uh, blog called Blunt Moms. So those are sarcastic blog posts about expat life. And then I also wrote um, a couple of uh, articles for Your Teen Magazine. I wrote some poetry. And then I started writing that YA novel just based on my experience dealing with or seeing depression in, in our household um, growing up. Yeah. And then I also see it and, and I see anxiety and I, and I see it also in the school that I work in. So I think the culmination of all of those different experiences, I just put them together and I just I channeled it into this book. So I just I hope, inshallah, that it gets to the right person. It, it you know, it, it just gets out there and it helps anybody any, um, you know, teenage girl who just kind of wants to be seen. And I think that's actually what it's about. It's just about that's being great. seen. 
Especially right now when there's so much noise, right, around around us. And that's, I think, one of the biggest issues with our teenagers is because there is so much noise, it's hard to kind of, you want to have your own independence, but you want to also blend in. It's just such a weird, awkward stage, throwing social media and hormones and cognitive frontal lobe, dopamine imbalances. Guess what? It's a really tough, tough age. So the fact that you're even trying to write about it and bring, you know, put it into words for people to understand, I I definitely appreciate it. Inshallah, I can't wait to read it and have it in my hand so I can read that. So I really um, look forward to that. Um, But I know we can't talk about names or anything yet, because we're, we're waiting for that. But you know, check back in because we always have everything on our website. So we will have the ta-da, it got published and super, super excited about that. But I know it's super late for you um, where you are. So are we're doing this new segment now, which is kind of like this quick fire um segment where I ask you questions and guess what? You just have to answer on the spot. Are you ready for this? No, it is like playing taboo. It's like evil. I'm like, it is like I'm like the taboo, worst but, at playing taboo, but okay, I'll try. But guess what? This is all f- about you. So it, I promise you're going to know what to say. And we are going to try to get as many questions done in a minute as the timer starts ticking. I think it's like family feud. It's kind of like family feud. we're all family here. Okay, so we, we talk a little bit about what you like to do in your downtime. But when you're not working with uh, other expats kids, what are you doing with your time other than writing? I'm at the gym. Oh, girl, yes. <gasps> I love you. Yeah, it. I, so what are you reading currently? Oh, um, From Blood and Ash. It's, I'm a fantasy book addict. I'm just a complete and unapologetic. Ooh. Anything that has to do with fantasy and like world building and, and lots and lots and lots of political issues. Oh, yeah, I'm there. What is your most used emoji? Um, you know, that crazy face one? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Mine is the rolling eye emoji. Okay, so if you were to win a go- uh, Olympic medal in anything, what would it be? Sarcasm. Woo! And we she did it in time. In time. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. I would never peg you to be sarcastic, but oh, you're so I sweet. am. I hope you have sarcasm in the YA book. I think mm-hmm. I do. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> I that would be I nice. I like the now I'm going to have to like go through humor. it. I'll be like, wait, can I just add a little bit? It's <laughs> Rizma. It was supposed to add some sarcasm. Let me add that in chapter yeah, two, page 34. <laughs> but we're going to have it in our show notes. However, yes. just for anybody who is not good at looking up our show notes, because I'm looking at you, everybody who doesn't read the show notes, at Adiba Joffrey, altogether underscore official, is Adiba's um, Instagram. And then you can check her out on adibajoffrey.com. And that's her website. So you can see, um, I think all of the books you've written are listed on there. And you can look out for the announcements for the new book. I am just so thrilled, like literally tickled. I would say pink, but I'm wearing orange. So tickled orange <laughs> that we finally got to meet. Um, because I have the the weird thing. Every time I see my last name somewhere, I just get super excited. She really does. So when I see your last name, it just, <laughs> I'm a nerd. I nerd out. And so I was so excited to see there's an Adiba Joffrey that actually listens to Mommy Well Muslim. So thank you so much you. for all of your encouragement and your support. It's people like you that give us the um, inspiration to keep yes. going and you doing 
these awesome things like living an expat life, which we're too wussy to do, and mm-hmm. writing books, which we're just not organized enough to do. We're <laughs> like trying. We love, yeah, we're trying. But we're trying. You're the inspiration. <laughs> Absolutely. So any of your expertise and what you've shared with us today, we know even if it helps one person that you're going to get the baraka for it. And we hope that we get to kind of, you know, ride on Tag the tails along. of that. So Thank you so much for having me. This was like a wonderful experience. So thank you for giving me that. I'm so glad. See, she stayed up all night for nothing. Yes. <laughs> now you get to get all some right. sleep, girl. Yes, absolutely. Thanks so much, Adiva. We'll talk to you soon on our socials then. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma on Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Momming While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.